afternoon, my friends, or good evening, good morning, whenever you happen to be listening to this. Welcome to Borderline, episode 13, your new favourite spontaneously rift podcast. I am Danny Buckler, and I know what you're all thinking to yourselves. If you're a regular Borderliner, you're thinking, Buckles, where the bloody hell have you been? It's been three weeks since that last episode, and our limited understanding of building a following online is one has to be consistent and show up with product every week on the bounce. Where What's going on here, then? First of all... This is free, right? So let's not be getting on Buckle's back. But also, I have to go away sometimes to journey both inner and outer. I've been on a, a quest to Mexico. I'll tell you all about that, you know. Maybe not on this episode, maybe the next one. But let's see how it pans out. I don't plan these things. Clearly. <laughs> and yes, you're right. Building up a follow-up. I should be more, because I apologise. I try to work out that trick where you kind of record one up front and have it set on a timer to go off while you're away. But, you know, I didn't. So... Here's your latest episode. Welcome to it. Hit subscribe. Hit like. If you're on YouTube, hit the bell. I didn't know about the bell. They kept that a secret from me. I've been saying hit like and subscribe. I've never mentioned the bell once. This is the first time. Click that bell to let you know the new one's out. I will defeat these algorithms, which are the bane of my life. I've done too much research. I was having a quick look at like algorithms and things. And one of the guys I've just worked with. I'll tell you, I'll tell you about it when I get to it, in fact. Assuming you're still here. Because part of this was him explaining to me how it works. I'm well aware that most of you are already gone. Oh, I know what you're doing. I know how it works. Oh, most people give it like 30 seconds on the YouTube and then they go. And then a certain percentage gives it three minutes and then they go. And then a certain percentage stays till halfway through. Then a certain, then a tiny percentage stays to the end. Listen, don't piss about, mate. Stay to the end. Believe me, with my insecurity and my psychological issues... You like this would not even get uploaded if I didn't think it was worth it. Stick around, give it a chance, expand your attention span, stretch the mind. Or don't, you've probably got a life of your own to live. Anyway, <coughs> you don't need this. Where have I been, borderliners? I'm gonna tell you right now. Just check the computers. What yeah, it's all on. Perfect. I'm so paranoid that I'm gonna do one of these and look down at the laptop and it's gonna shut off halfway through. And then all my words will have been lost to eternity, like. Tears in rain. <sighs> Name the film reference. Films have been very featuring very prominently, by the way, in the, in the buckle, the riff that is Danny Buckler's life. I'm an actor now. <laughs> oh, Jesus, that sounds ridiculous when I say it. I'm sorry. I'm not an I've been acting in it. I've been doing my first acting job ever in my life. Proper, full-on, paid. Film, production, millions spent. Not a movie. In fact, I was very confused trying to work out what exactly it was. I just don't know quite how to describe it. It was a sort of Cirque du Soleil-esque performance piece, all done in one shot. We'll get into it, don't worry. Uh, in which, But in which I am acting and I am playing a real-life person who appears in this piece for the finest... 2.5 seconds, three at best, you'll see on screen all year. It's a very, very brief role. I mean, the amount of effort that I went into for this, uh, essentially to walk around a car and shake someone's hand, you've got no idea. And the money it costs, we will get into it. I will tell you all about it. Why not? Let's just start with that. Because I shan't be naming my fellow actors because um, I've forgotten all their names. No, I haven't forgotten all their names. I'm joking. But... They don't know I do a podcast and I haven't asked them. That's the only reason. 
and um, and also there was some you know at the end of the shoot we were like doing photographs and stuff and a couple of said oh I don't want to be tagged on social media you know don't, I mean yeah I'll do a photograph but don't tag me I don't want people to see that I've done this thing and I was thinking yeah I know what that is that's actor speak for end of the tax year I know where you're coming from yeah wait five days and then get it in if at all so I won't be naming names because um but, but just know that they're, they're all beautiful people but they don't know I do a podcast I haven't cleared it with them and I don't want them saying what the bloody hell are you do you know so but I'm going to tell you a little bit about what happened because it's interesting it come out the clear blue sky I've wanted to act for the longest while I mean from since I was a little man little man it was always about acting was the first thing that's what I wanted to get into when I got into show business um I mean as a child's fantasy of show business not when I actually started and I could do it at school. I was like the best actor at school. No word of a lie. You know, school play, butlers were stealing the show. Oh, no shepherd here. And I get, I would get furious. You know, oh, you know, in the nativities, what I mean. <laughs> a kid with a towel on the head. No, 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 no. I wanted to be up front and centre. And I would get, I remember my first ever showbiz being pissed off. And I mean furious and thinking it was a massive injustice. Like ranting in the playground. Because, um... I was, it was middle school, so I would have been about, it was before I got to the hellhole, before the prison sentence that was halls or high. So I would have been about 10. And, uh, you know, that weird, there was this, at the time at school, there was a lottery about who got what teacher, which class you went into. And there was the teacher that everyone, the fun teacher everyone wanted and didn't get. And then you got the short straw and end up with the right bastard. And the fun teacher was teaching his, doing his, got his class to do a production of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory for like the assembly. And I was livid, livid. And the, like, and the lad who got to play Willy Wonka, which was the role that I was born to, I, I lent him the costume. I had the costume at home. I'd found this weird, at a jumble sale, remember those? At a jumble sale, I'd found this weird kind of long, uh, sort of golden sequiny coat thing that I thought, oh, that looks like a, ma a magician's, I was just getting interested in magic. That looks like a magician's jacket. I'll have that for me 20 pence. So I had it, and that's what he wore as Willy Wonka. I remember sitting in the assembly, watching him wearing my outfit, thinking, you prick. Like, genuinely hatred. Like, oh, that's my part you got there. There's an injustice here. Something's wrong in the universe. The Dow has got things out of sync. It was my first experience of that. <laughs> Not my last. By a long chalk. But I always wanted to act and act in a certain way. I was fascinated by makeups as well. I was very into the Universal Monster series. I mean, that's a deep dive. I tend to save those ones for Halloween, but if you were around for the Instagram lives, I went well into that. With my friend Pete Furman, he's another aficionado of the uh, Universal Monster series. But I was fascinated by makeups and Jack Pierce and Lon Chaney and how these things were done, these effects were achieved, changing your face, you know. Very interested in people of that. That's why I like Tom Hardy so much. I know everyone loves Tom Hardy. That's not, you know, a thing. Everyone loves Tom Hardy. It's a given. You know, best actor in the world, Tom Hardy. I mean, it's just a given these days. You know, 1970s, best actor in the world, De Niro. But now, Tom Hardy. But I'm also, I love the fact that he does stuff. He does something with every part. I had this chat with a friend of mine recently, and he doesn't like it when I do. I've come to the opinion that I do. I like that Tom Hardy does something with every character. There's a voice, there's a thing, there's a, you know, he creates something unusual and alien with every kind of thing. Um, but makeups, Charles Lawton fascinated me as well. 
as Quasimodo, but also as Blythe in Meeting on the Bounty and other parts that he did. So I wanted to be that guy, but, you know, circumstance, not being, you know, being afraid of my own shadow. Not the shadow on the wall here, by the way, that someone's mentioned. That was one of the messages I got from a, from a, a magician, you know. This is the thing. I don't know who listens to this. I've got people that listen to this from comedy. I've got people that listen from the ships. I've got people that listen from Disney. And I've got a little tiny few magicians listen to this because it's not a magic podcast, but it's a world that I'm not famous, but I'm known in. So people tend to find it. And they're the ones that have a little bit of, oh, I've got to put in a bit of opinion here. I've got to let him know what I think. Just some notes. Just some unsolicited notes. You know that shadow behind you? You know, in a, Going, mate, I'm doing this in my kitchen. But if you watch the YouTube version, there's a shadow behind me. When I can afford the lights, it will be gone. But right now, you're stuck with it. And if you've stuck with the YouTube show this far, enjoy the shadow. Think of it as Dolby Stereo. So acting was always on the bills, but I couldn't do it. You know, and then I went to college and we, you know, I've, I've talked about that before, but we had the sort of luck of, you know, having a drama teacher who was more interested in turning us into Marxists than into performers. And I wanted a bit of sh- I wanted show business. And it went away. And then I found comedy. That was my form of expression. But acting's always been burning in the back there. You know, it's always been there. And I could do it now, I think. I think I'm of an age and a, 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 I can do it now, I think. And I'm not the only one that thinks that because my friend Hillary, first name she pulled out the app for a little acting job that came in and I got it. And I did it and it was brilliant. Working with proper actors on this thing. Right. Now, what am I referring to to it as a thing? Because I genuinely don't know what to refer to it as. It's not a film. It's not a TV show. It's not a... It was like this... Um, I kind of want to describe it. I mean, I, first of all, they spent a lot of money, like three and a half million quid at least. And I'm being conservative there. It was a, a launch, a live broadcast, global, of the launch of the new Lotus car that they're putting out this year. And it was going to go out live on YouTube and other internet platforms. Again, a world I'm very new to, as you're aware. Like I know YouTube, Instagram, Podbean, because that's what gets this out there. Everything else is still a mystery. But it was going to go out on various platforms and it was big. And they've got the idea is all the big wigs from Lotus are going to be there. Race, famous racing drivers that have driven Lotus cars, celebrity people. Um, they're going to talk about the car. There's this sort of Cirque du Soleil thing going on with aerialists and dancers and Christ knows what else. And then this, this car's going to come up the Thames on a, you know, like a boat, this big lit up James Bond style thing. It's in on this boat, but it's covered up by this weird contraption that looks like a magician's illusion. That's what it looked like when it appeared coming up the Thames. It looked like a David Copperfield thing from the 1980s when they had budget. And, it, you know, those, the way it was lit and everything, firing up the Thames, like really exciting. And then... The, the thing is revealed via this sort of flashing lights and God knows what. It, it looks beautiful. And it wants to look beautiful for the money spent. Do you know what I mean? If you're going to spend that sort of bunce, the least you can hope for is something that looks good. You know, you just want a bloke saying, you're all right, here's the car. What about that then? Look at the wheels on that. That'll get you from A to B. Lotus. No, it's got to be spectacular, and it was. But the opening to this thing was the history of Lotus cars done in like three minutes, all in one shot. So the camera goes down this shot and the entire history of the car is revealed. The entire history of Lotus is revealed. Actors coming in, 
dancers coming in, playing various parts. And um, as the camera keeps going and then into the big reveal at the end. And that was my, my little tiny slice of this. My two and a half seconds of this hour long extravaganza was in the middle of that. Playing a real guy, playing an actual person, a man called Emerson Fittipaldi, about whom I know precisely nothing, apart from the fact he won a race in a Lotus car. I don't even know what the race was. Christ, how embarrassing I'm doing this. I never even found out what the race was. The Grand Prix, I want to say. I'm not a motor racing's friend. But, um, but yeah, that was the part, and I got it. Thanks very much. A couple of days' notice. So down I went to the rehearsal space to be with my fellow actors. Now, this was weird. We rehearsed it in this warehouse. They hired like a warehouse to put it all together. I've missed the first day because of being in Mexico. You know, journeying both inner and outer. Right, guys? We all know what I'm talking about. Um, working on a cruise ship. <laughs> Implying there was some weird ayahuasca thing. There wasn't. It was there. But... It's in a warehouse and it's all set up. I've missed the first day. So when I turn up, this weird thing, I notice this thing's happened as I'm slowly warming into it. There's a story from the set of Planet of the Apes that um, Roddy McDowell tells that, that the, the, the actors would sort of drift into their little groups. So, if you were, so basically in the original Planet of the Apes film, you're either a chimpanzee, an orangutan, a gorilla or a human being. And at lunchtime, they'd all kind of gather in their own little groups. So all the orangutans would sort of meet up in one corner. All the gorillas would congregate in the other. All the chimpanzees over there, all the human beings in another corner. And they never sort of interacted socially. They sort of stuck to their own little clique. And I noticed that, that this has happened here. Because when I arrive, you've got actors over there talking. Dancers, other side of the room, talk. No action is happening at the moment. This is a break. The dancers are over there. The actors are over there. Production's over there, and I'm over here on my own. Like comedy variety boy, no, I don't fit into any of these groups. No one wants to talk to me. They do, they warmed up. But when I arrived, it was like this sort of the first couple of hours. I mean, Jesus, this is friendly, isn't it? Tried to start some conversations, shot down. So you guys are all actors? Yeah, on their phones, talking about Rada very loudly. The younger ones this was. Lovely people, but you know, fences are up. Fences are always up in those situations. It's weird. What is the, the pretending? The acting that happens behind the acting fascinates me. You're not just doing the performance for the camera. You're performing when you're eating your noodles out of your plastic box. You've still got this weird idea of playing the part. There's very little, very little zen around. Apart from the older actors, they were very zen-like. One in particular. I mean, all the older guys are the beautiful men. Oh, everyone was lovely. Everyone was lovely. Everyone was lovely. I'm not knocking anyone. It was just interesting to see the ones that were at ease quickest because everyone because by the time we got out of that studio at that rehearsal place into the actual thing everyone lightened up you know but it was interesting seeing how long it took for people to sort of lower their little barriers like if i heard the words well i'm only doing this because it's a favor like once i heard it a dozen times you know from from not everyone but oh, this might get cut out we'll see it might not get cut out we'll have a look Christ, I'm on 17 minutes already. What the bloody hell am I doing? Waffle. But that first day was hard. That first day was really hard. And I'll tell you why it was hard, because I wasn't doing anything. You've got no idea how hard it is to stand around for 12 hours doing nothing. But you can't leave. 
You know what I mean? You can't go. You can't go and get a coffee. You can't go and um, because you need to be there in case you are needed. At least that's what I thought. My more experienced actor chums sort of knew what the crap was. They were drifting out and coming back in again. They sort of knew, oh, that's going to take about this long because I've done this before, so I'm going to go. And I didn't. So I'm watching them doing every little tiny thing. I had my first go at makeup. Hair and makeup. Oh, check me out. I'm sitting there. Buckles, the man of a thousand faces. <laughs> Buckles, the uncanny. Transformed in a makeup test into Emerson Fittipaldi, the racing driver. The wig applied. I felt him coming over me. It was brilliant. I got a full-on wig. Full-on big 1970s do. Massive pair of mutton chops. Like big old sideburns. And then they sort of forced me into this. They've got me the racing driving suit. I'm going to give them my sizes. But they've, they've skewed towards the slightly smaller end of the size. Because we'll get into that in a minute. But anyway, I get squeezed into the suit and there I am. I am Fittipaldi. Danny Buckler has left the building with his baggy cardigans and his DMs and his vibro barefoot shoes. And in his place now stands Emerson. I could feel his spirit within me, even though he's not dead. I could feel his spirit within me. It felt brilliant. Being in the, being in the gear felt great. But it was literally like, put it all on, one photograph, right, take that off. What? This took 45 minutes to all get on? Yeah, get it all off, you know, just to get the photograph to show the, the people this is what it's going to look like. Did the rehearsals. And my role is, you know, what can I say about my role? It's literally standing there. I'm looking at, this, at the car. Well, I'm looking at a cardboard box. It's going to be the car. Well, these dancers are miming that they're cleaning it and changing the tyres. So I'm trying to convey a sense of like, oh yeah, I've uh, just won a race in that. What about that then? There you go. <laughs> and then the, the actor, um, a beautiful actor. They, I will say David was his name. I, I, I won't say his full name just in case. I don't want to get in trouble, but I'm not embarrassed. It's just that I don't want to, he doesn't know I do a podcast. I don't want to, you know. But he came up to me and, and he's playing the guy that designed the car and started Lotus Motors. And the other is he's going to walk into the shop, congratulate me on the win. We're going to shake hands and then we, we, we part and the camera keeps going through. It's like... Think the opening, think that famous shot in Goodfellas. You know the famous tracking shot in Goodfellas where you follow Henry into the nightclub and he's going past all the different people and saying hello and doing the, you know, and to get into the club to watch the cabaret with his wife. Very famous tracking shot with one cheat in it that I can't, my brother found it. Um, he's much more smart on these things than I am. But it's one shot. Oh, it's, it's basically that. It's, it's one three minute continuous shot. The choreography involved. Bloody hell. I mean, you know. My bit is literally just waiting to hear my word, the word on the voiceover, do my little bit, and then I'm done, you know. But the choreographer, watching this cameraman, this cameraman was genius. I mean, he had this rig on, one camera guy, but he had a rig on like Robocop, with one of those cameras that sort of floats with the light and everything on it, you know, like a good 40 grand's worth around him. Just the strength to maintain it alone. Watching him dance through this kind of bizarre setup. He looked like the Matrix. You know, he's up, he's down, he's coming under things, over things, and he can't pause. If he pauses for a second, the whole thing's done. And it's going out live, remember? Watching him do that was one of the most impressive things I've ever seen. You know, regardless of all the helicopters and the drones and the lights and the pee-haw, seeing him going through that, the concentration that he held for that, oh, very impressive. Did I spoke to him and I told him what I thought. Didn't get his name, unfortunately, but genius. 
genius guy watching that happen. So yeah, we moved to the actual set, which is the old BBC television centre. My last contact with that was the, uh, the night it shut down. Um, a couple of my mates were filming there. They were doing uh, 8 out of 10 cats, I think it was. But they were filming something there. And um, we were living together at the time. And they came over with all these like, little bits and bobs that they kind of like... I've still got it somewhere. I've got the uh, dressing room 7. I've still got the, the thing off the door. Because they, they, they just sold it. That was the last thing they recorded and they were knocking it down. They didn't lick it. It was like in a skip, you know. They just, it was that would go. It went to, to the scrapyard. So that was my last contact with them. I've not been back since. And now all those offices and all those are now flats. People live there. It's a block of flats. But with a studio in the basement in the bottom where they do Loose Women and This Morning and a few other things and this. So we're doing it there. Um, the long shots taking place in that. I don't know if you've seen it. If you're British, you probably have. If you're listening in America, or, or, you're, or you're my one Russian listener, I've got one listener in Russia right now. And given what's happening, hey, Russian listener, the media's lying to you. But you walk around this, there's like a donut out, it's a circle. So the tracking shot's taking all that in. We're going right round the circle. So I can see it from where I'm standing. I can see everything happening. I can see it coming. And it moves through me. Then I can see it carrying on after me. It was like looking at time, how time actually works. You know, you see those diagrams of what time is that. When you see a diagram of time in like a physics book, it looks like a donut. It was like that. And, like, and the idea of the block universe, that everything's already happened. And it's, already, and it's going to happen, it's already happened. Everything that's happened, obviously, is already. But it's all happening simultaneously. It's just not simultaneously apprehended. And our experience is time moving through us. Not saying what I believe, saying something that I've read. Though I don't, I'm coming to believe it actually. So time's moving through us. And so it's not, it's all happening. So right now there's a version of me experiencing my past. There's a version of me experiencing my future. And I'm the version of me experiencing this bit. That's what it felt like. Because I could see it coming. I felt like, all right, here I am in time. And here's my life unfolding. And then here's the bit that I'm doing. And then it carries on over there and off into the future. So come the glorious day now at the BBC. They've set up all the gear. I get there. And um, just check the thing. So there I am. And it turns out, the real, well, two things. One, the real fitter Paul is coming. I've had it all, like, I've, you know, it's coming, by the way, to see this. You know who? The real fit, Emerson fitter Paul, he's going to be here. You're going to meet him tomorrow. This is the secondary rehearsal. You're meeting him tomorrow. I'm like, fucking sweet. I'll have some of this. Get that, we want to get that photograph. You and him together, that'd be amazing. Yeah, I'd love it. That's like called the whisper stream. You know what I mean? I'll be having a cup of tea in my gear. And so I'll walk past and go, oh, do you know what I've heard? What's that, mate? Fitter Paul, he's coming. The real guy? Yeah, I've heard. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. And then the head of wardrobe comes to me. We need to have a discreet conversation. I'm thinking she smelt weed on my breath. No, I'm thinking... <laughs> From the night before. No, I'm thinking she's... um, What's happened here? I thought, oh, this is, I'm going to get the... I'm getting the I'm going to get told to leave here. They've, they've, they've sussed it out. I'm not an actor. They've worked out. They've, they've, there's a stranger in our midst. There's a ghost in the machine. It takes me to one side. Just a discreet chat. Um, we've had a note. Apparently, the real apparently the real Emerson Fittipaldi is quite proud of his waspish figure. And though, if you look at photographs of us, particularly photographs of me in the gear next to photographs of him, 
we've got the same build. There's a reason they put me in it. You know, it's not like they've gone, who's this unknown genius? We have to sign him up immediately. They've literally just gone, yeah, he looks a bit like him with a bit of tweaking. Perfect. Let's get on with it. That, you know, he's got to shake hands. That's it. But someone's come back and said, he's a bit chunky. Like, I'm not. I'm looking at the photo. I'm not. But someone somewhere has got to justify their 50 quid or whatever. Do you know what I mean? They've got to justify their positions. They've sent this note down. You know, there's a shadow behind you. You want to get rid of that? Just letting you know. Like, so we've got a solution. We've got a solution. What is that then? We'd like you to wear a corset. And they give me this thing. Not a corset. It's like a a spandex body thing that sucks all your guts your guts into your spine and cuts off the blood to your legs it's a full body thing it stops starts at the knees and ends at the chest for me to squeeze into so now i'm in four layers i've got my corset on and i've got my t-shirt and i've got my t-shirt then my corset then my polo the polo white polo neck and then the fit of all the kind of racing car body armor that they wear then the wig and then the my sideburn and then the so i'm i'm everyone else is freezing i'm toasty Everyone else in their costumes is going, well, it's bloody cold out here, isn't it? This is supposed to be like April, it's October. I'm like, I'm sweet, I'm fine. I'm, I could live in this outfit. I could sleep in this gear. But yep, yeah, into the corset I go. Dignity is not a part of the actor's way. If it will enhance the piece. If Charles Lawton can wear the hump of Quasimodo for 18 hours a day, I can wear the corset of Fittipaldi. Squeeze me in. And they did. That's the hardest part of the job, getting in that bloody thing. That's what I got paid for, the half an hour that took, with a scoop, trying to sort of shove it all in, like with a cut of a shoehorn. There I am. I'm in the suit. I am Fittipaldi. And the night now comes, the night of the performance. Now, what's happening? The performance is this guy walks up and shakes my hand. That's it. You know, I'm, I'm bigging this up, but, you know, I'm, <laughs> that's all it is. Literally looking at the... And when I get there, I've got, when I have boxes in the rehearsal, I've now got a racing car. But it's not a replica. It's the actual car he won in. The genuine article. I've kept it preserved for years. It's worth millions, this racing car. It's sitting there. And no one's told me that. So in the rehearsals, I'm prattling about with it. I mean, I didn't touch it or anything, but I'm like, you know, kind of doing bits, trying to make my friend Henry laugh. And I find that, somebody's like, oh, you know, that car's worth about six million. Okay, let's uh, take a step back then. <clears throat> Let's not leave a scratch on the goods. I never touched it, but I've got to walk around this car. In comes this actor who's playing the guy that, uh, David, who's playing the guy that um, designed the car, whose name I've now forgotten, Mr. Lotus. And uh, he's going to shake hands with me. So in the, in the blocking, when we were blocking it, he's literally come in, he's shaking hands, I've shaken hands, we've stepped back. Now we're rehearsing it properly. This is beautiful, actually. Like, it's, a, it's such a tiny moment, but it's things like this is why I got in the show business. Such a tiny thing, you know what I mean? No one's ever going to... I'm never going to be walking down the street and have anyone go, what, you fit a poorly in that YouTube thing from four years ago? Jesus, can I get a photo? You know, it's not that. This is purely a performance thing. All he's got to do is shake hands and move on. Every time he does it in the rehearsal, he does it different. It's so subtle. And he's bringing a different... And it was like, I can't, like, he's a real actor, not me. He's just there, you know, because this has happened. He's an actual actor. And he's doing an actual, and it's like, every time he came in, it was different. You know, it was a different, 
thing to the handshake, a different. He was trying things. I got, and then one time he, I got a little, like the first one, I got a little, well done, really well done. Second time he came in, like a, Emerson, bravo. So every time, and it was like, and I found myself starting to respond to him. So I started doing an actual, like, performance. It was really nice. It's a weird feeling, very satisfying feeling. You know, I could see some people on their phones with their agents and stuff, giving it a bit of like, you're missing the magic here, mate. You're a young person, you're missing the magic here. Get out of your head. Get out of your head. That's always when the magic happens. Get out of your thoughts. Get into what is. Get into what's happening. This is what's happening now. Get into it. And, you know, for all my Zen and all I talk about non-duality and Zen and meditation and those things I go off on the way. This guy was living it, you know what I mean? David, he was living, he was he was Zen, he was it, you know? And he was, I can't, I'm sure I'm forging up the description, but you get the idea. He was acting properly and it was, I could see it and feel it. And it was bringing something out of me. So I, there was a different, every time I shook hands, there was a different, you know, and I started getting these weird, like, oh yeah, we're old friends and this is a thing, we've worked on together and this is the moment where that happens and, you know. This is the moment of victory. Like I'm, I'm, I'm experiencing the triumph of the race, and here comes the guy that made that possible. And now we're shaking hands, and this is our little moment in space and time to acknowledge that. And then the camera moves on. So I did actually give a performance. I'll be bugging if you can see any of that when you actually watch it, because it goes past so fast. I mean, if you pick up any of that subtlety, then you're the, you're one of the people that didn't blink. Do you know what I mean? Because on screen it's like that, but you know, to, for me as an experience, it was wonderful. Really, and of course on the night, it's going out live. So that was quite a, an interesting thing because um, I was more comfortable with that than I was with rehearsing. Because live's my happy, you know? Look at this, I don't plan this. Do you know what I mean? That's why I don't plan it. I'm doing this because it makes me happy. And that's why I don't plan it. Because if I, you know, like, I'm well aware I've lost half the viewers already on YouTube because of algorithms, because they don't want to, you know, not any personal... But I'm doing this for me. This this exists for me, you know. So um, when it went live, that was the bit I enjoyed the most because it was just it just happened. It was happening then, you know, and all the all the front and the egos and the, that all disappears and it just happens. So I get it now, and I you know I, I understand why actors act, especially the ones that you think you're still you're not a star, but you're still doing it all the time. And that's the reason why, because it, it was a, a special thing, and I can't quite, I can't quite put my finger on it. I'm not trying to big myself. This is not me sitting here. I, an actor, found that moment. Of, but I genuinely got it. The idea of a performance of that nature. I get it in comedy already, you know, because I do that. I've done that for years and decades now. I get it in comedy, um, but I now get it in acting as well. That, you know, moment of it. It. it always comes back to that with me, the it. The witch of which there is no witcher. The unspoken, how are we doing for time? Oh my good God, right, we're coming up on time, my friends. I've got more stories from this shoot. I, I, this will go on for a, probably for a couple of, I'll have to carry on in the next episode or something, but you know, time has caught us. The donut of time has come around again. Anyway, your borderline's back. I'm back now, so, you know, thank you for your patience. And um, that's this week's. And I'll, uh, yeah, I'll see you around the block, mates.
Have a good week. See you on the next borderline.